I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Down podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about the Rochester Cocktail Revival. The 2021 edition started on Monday and really kicks into gear tonight. I want to tell you about a couple events I'm really excited about. One is the Rumchester event. I'm definitely a rum nerd, and that one is being held on Thursday night at the Cub Room. This is a great way to try a bunch of different rums. And the other one is the big fancy event that everybody should go to, which is the 2021 Rochester Cocktail Revival Gala held at the Strong Museum. There's, you know, hors d'oeuvres and cocktails and you can walk around the museum, which is great. So go to RochesterCocktailRevival.com to buy your tickets today for the event on Friday night. Now, more about this week's episode. In episode 136 of the podcast, Jennifer Johnson from Misfit Treats and Eats came over to the studio to talk all about her fantastic vegan donut shop and treat emporium. I don't think she used the term emporium, but I'm using it (laughs) Uh, over on uh, Gregory Street and talked all about the journey to get from their original location, why she started a vegan bakery and why she still you know carries those values to today um i love that restaurant uh, breakfast sandwich is fantastic we talk about that a bit at the end so um i would highly recommend that you go check out misfit treats and eats you can order online at misfitdonuts.org if you want to order ahead but otherwise this was a real delight to have her over um she was such a such a comfortable person to have in the studio and so open to having a real discussion about all sorts of different things. So hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you do, make sure you go to Misfit Treats and Eats and let them know on social media that you enjoyed it. And we're back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. It's a beautiful it's a bit of a thick day in Rochester today, right? It's kind of juicy. Yeah, ooh, yeah, that's that's another good word for it. Yeah, it's definitely a little yes. juicy out. And while we're talking about the weather, why don't you introduce yourself, guest? Uh, my name is Jennifer Johnson, and I own Misfit Treats and Eats. Beautiful. So first, where can people find your fine establishment? Uh, we are located at 133 Gregory Street um, in the South Wedge, and we're between South and Mount Hope Avenue, right across the street from the beautiful Marie Daly Park. So it's very interesting because I, I have been to that location many times with you now. I'd been there many times with the prior tenant of that location as well. Mm-hmm which was Peppa Pot restaurant. Yes. Uh, one of my one of my favorite Jamaican restaurants and one of our one of our first uh, restaurants we used on Curate. Um, Marlene's such a nice such a nice lady and I'm really uh, really glad to see another cool place in that location. Yeah, I have not had the good fortune of meeting Marlene yet. Um, I really would love to meet them. Um, I just they don't really have a lot of vegan options, so I really don't have I you know, there's really, I haven't had an opportunity to check out their establishment yet. They actually so. do have some. They're not listed on the menu. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't either. She told me when I left, when I picked up the meals, they actually do have soy patty options there. Oh, well, I'll definitely have to check them out then. And their their food is delicious. Yes. I've heard that. I've heard that. And many, and then we still have, you know, we've been there for two years now. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary and we still have people walking in saying, um, is this not the Peppa Pot anymore? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. No, they're, they're over on East Main Street, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's a, um, it's a big part of the, big part of the culture, big part of the Jamaican culture, actually. You know, I, I read about it after she mentioned it and it made complete sense once I read about it. I wasn't super familiar, but it's a big part of the, and I apologize if I use any of the words incorrectly, the yeah, the, uh, the Rasta Rastafarian tradition. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of vegetarian veganism in exactly. the tradition. So there's actually there's a few places in town that do that. Uh, Caribbean Heritage also has a pretty big vegan menu. Yes, and they're delicious. Very tasty. Very delicious. Oh, I love Jamaican food so much. <laughs> um, so um, your restaurant. Let's talk about one. What is Misfit Donuts and Treats? And then we'll talk about why you're doing it. 
Um, well, it originally started out as Misfit Donuts and Treats. We've actually gone under a name change. We're now known as Misfit Treats and Eats. And okay, I can, very and I can cool. kind of get into that a little bit later. Yeah. But um, on uh, May 13th, 2017, I opened at 982 Monroe Avenue. And at that point, and I still believe this to be true, I am the only 100% all vegan bakery here in Rochester. Yeah. And vegan and donut shop. And um, I've been vegan. I'm about to celebrate my 11th year anniversary of being vegan. Okay. And what I wanted to do is I love baking and I love um, showing people through baking how great being vegan is. And so I think the two worlds just kind of collided in me opening um, this amazing endeavor. Yeah, I, I that the neighborhood where you opened, I used to live around the corner on, oh, I think I'm actually forgetting the name of the street for the first time, but I lived right across the street from Cobbs Hill Park. So I could have, you know, when I lived over there, I would have been able to walk over to where your location is or was, um, which is now around where Grassfed is, right? Yes, Um what happened was after the renovations were complete on the building, I was still the leaseholder of that space. And my landlord reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to uh, take the space back. And I was, um, for uh, maybe three or four seconds, I thought about having two locations, but then I was like, <laughs> I thought better of it. And I actually was kind of the one that facilitated letting grass fed take that location oh that's awesome yes because they were they were sharing a space with eat me ice cream in the hungerford building mm -hmm. and um with the growth of eat me and with grass fed they were kind of like running out of space and i know that rob and nora really wanted a storefront of their own and so i reached out to them and i kind of introduced them to the landlord of the building and kind of facilitated them being able to take uh, ownership of the space. There, there's something about something about relationships that you know when you when you develop those relationships. Sometimes it's it's what makes the most difference. You know, you're you believe in what they're doing. You see they're doing good things, and sometimes that's when those opportunities come up, and when somebody has their eye out for you. Exactly is when those things really happen. Well, I mean, it kind of like I mean, I. I really believe that like there's that saying the rising tide helps all boats. And I really, really, truly believe that, you know, um, I, you know, I want every business to succeed, especially all vegan businesses to succeed. And I really feel like, you know, working and collaborating with other businesses is really the best way to help the overall community of Rochester to help like this, the community of Rochester grow and succeed as a city itself. Yeah. So let's, let's take a full step back. Okay. So you mentioned 11 years, 11 years being vegan. Yes. So what was it for you that precipitated the change? Because you were not, you were not uh, zero when you made the change. No, um, I was vegetarian when I moved here to Rochester and I moved here to go to RIT okay. um, in 2010 and where I, did you come from? I'm originally from Auburn, okay. New York, near it's between here and Syracuse. The long drive from Auburn, New York. Yes, yes. the long drive from the the hour and fifteen minute drive from <laughs> Auburn. <laughs> um, and I moved here, and I actually, when I started going to RIT, I I I already knew a lot of vegans already, um, like like as acquaintances, but then I became some really, I developed some really good friendships with a couple of different vegans here. When did you start, uh, when did you start vegetarianism? What was it or fairly early when you started? Um, I had been vegetarian for about five years before I moved to Rochester. Okay. So, yeah. So pretty, pretty young. So that yeah. was middle school, high school? Uh, a little bit older. Okay. <laughs> well, you mentioned you were going to college. Was yeah. The well, I was, I'm a non-traditional student. Oh, I actually, hey, that's yeah, cool. yeah, I was actually, uh, that's a whole other story, but yeah, I was, when I moved here, um, I was a little bit older. I'm still a little bit older. I'm even <laughs> older now than I am was there before I moved that here. That is typically how it works. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no. Um, and so, and you know, they, you know, they were talking to me about like why, you know, they, and they, and they weren't confrontational about it at all. They were like, and they kind of were like, well, you're already halfway there. And like, why don't we show you, like, why don't we kind of just give you a little bit of education about like, not like, it's not just the cruelty of eating animals, but eating the byproducts of animals. That's really almost as cruel as eating the animals themselves. 
And then I, you know, and through my own education, you know, and then I, you know, I visited a couple of farm sanctuaries and it was almost like I felt like I was kind of woken up to like what was happening. And it, I just never turned back after that. Yeah. So I find the, I find that part of the, it, it ties into a lot of discourse right now about how do you, how do you talk to people about, how do you talk to people about those things and how the non-confrontational method worked for you? Exactly. And I, and I think that's kind of like, and I mean, although I, am vegan and I will always be vegan and I'm hoping that everybody eventually goes vegan. And that's like my, my dream. One of my dreams is that eventually everybody goes vegan because we are a, a precipice here where if we don't make change in the way that we function as a race, like as the human race, we are going to basically kill our planet. And one of the ways that we could save the planet is by going vegan. Um, but I, I, but I mean, I, I have friends that are not vegan and I, you know, and I don't like, I'm not like so judgmental that I won't like be friends with them, you know? And I, I believe that like in my approach is like, let me show you how beautiful and amazing vegan food can be. And that, that will kind of show you like the path that you may want to go down. Yeah. I think that's, that's my preferred method. I mean, I was a, I was certainly a, um, big time omnivore eater for many years and meat focused for many years of that. And it was definitely a bit of a transition for me. And it was through a lot of reading and education and everything else. And also the kind of foods I like are very receptive to very receptive to vegan eating um, from, you know, the Indian and Chinese and different Asian cuisines. Exactly. Um, you know, the West Asian cuisines from Lebanese and Syrian, all that stuff. That's those kind of cuisines that I love that I eat most are very easy to eat vegan Vegan, and delicious. And And that's, that's how I eat almost all the time. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge because I, I believe in what you're saying. I I do believe it's important. Uh, I was on connections, oh geez, probably two or three weeks ago, and we were talking about you know, ethical treatment of animals. And it was around um, caging restrictions that California was putting in. So they had to have a what is really a bare minimum of ability to move around in cages, not even proper, even if you're going to raise animals, you know, treating them decently through their lives. And it was a very interesting conversation to hear the different perspectives from all sorts of different people. Um, you know, Andrea, Andrea Peros was next to me, who was, uh, you know, owner of the Red Fern, Fern. Mm-hmm. kind of our uh, OG uh, vegan place here in town. Yes. Um, and it was it was fascinating to see the the discourse between the callers and the, you know, the farmer and Headwater Food Hub and all the different directions. And I see so many different angles on it because I've lived all the different angles. And it's, I believe this is the right way, but... I know for me, if somebody, you know, the, the people that are at the market with the, you know, not always at the market, but the people at the public market with the TVs and the gorilla, you know, gorilla videos of torture and misery, it never, not to say it shouldn't have phased me, but it never did. You know what I mean? I know. And I mean, and I do appreciate, um, I know exactly who you're talking about and yeah. I do appreciate um, their point of view, but I really feel that, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily agree that I'm not necessarily hundred percent sure that that's the right approach. Yeah. And, um, and so I think through just kindness and compassion and like just showing people like, you know, like so that they can make that connection, you know, like this, this sentient being, deserves to have its life and deserves to be free and does not deserve to be slaughtered so that you can eat them, you know? And, um, and it, and, and I know it's a very, like, it is a very hot topic, you know, For and, sure. and it does create a lot of discourse and disagreement. Um, and so, I mean, I, this is like my approach is always going to be the way that I'm going to go where it's like, as I said before, I'm coming back to, you know, let me through the food that I'm serving you, 
which I, you know, I love making with compassion and kindness, you know, and that there's, and then it was truly made with love and there was no harm done to any creature by serving you this food. Yeah. And I think it's, I think if that's the, if that's the tenor, I mean, that's the way I choose to, to deal with it as well as through that, you know, it's the compassion, kindness, but it's through that ethos of respecting everything around you. If you respect the, if you respect the, you know, the land, you respect the animals, you respect people around you, hopefully you're making a better impact on the world than when you came here, even though each of our individual efforts are not always that important, but you know, what, what else are we going to do than try to be our best and respect everything around us? Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about baking. So you got in through baking. What was, what was the thing that grabbed you in baking that said, Hey, this is the way I want to go. Well, I have always been in love with baking. I used to um, bake with my grandmother all the time. This was an activity that she and I would do together. And what, um, and what I find that I love about baking that I think a lot of like people who work with food say is like when you are doing the activity, it kind of just recenters you and calms you down. Like at least that's for me. I mean, and when I became vegan, I went through and veganized all of my grandmother's recipes. And, um, and so then I was taking a food class and this is when I was just becoming vegan and I was taking a food class at RIT and I could not afford to go buy food to shoot. So I would have to bake everything. And you're probably aware of this. You can't just bake like one cupcake or one cookie or like. No, very challenging. Like one or like one piece of cake. And so I would have all these leftovers. And my boyfriend at the time was like, you cannot leave this around the house. I'm going to eat all of it. And I'm like, I'm the same way. So I would take it to the food class and then. Like at the end of class, I would give all the desserts to my fellow classmates. And then the very last class, like every week they'd be like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And then at the very last class, I'm like, it's vegan. (laughs) And so I, I graduated RIT and I was working as a freelance photo assistant and I was not making nearly any money at all. Cause I, there's just a, like just so many photo assistants because of RIT and I was working for just about every photographer in town. So I needed to find a job that would help supplement my income. And I actually got a job through a photo shoot at is a, I got a job as a baker at the, because of a photo shoot at the owl house. Oh, awesome. Yes. And so I started, that was other than working in a country club when I was 16, that was like my first kitchen experience working in a restaurant how was the transition to working for your first time? And as, as, as a baker especially, baker's hours are odd, to say the least. They, they, it was a little bit of a transition. Um, I kind of fell into it very easily, though. And so I just kind of started working there. And then one thing led to another. And through, like, like through the, my whole experience at the Owl House, I started another wholesale bakery called Pudgy Girl, I remember when that yes, happened. Yes, yes. And I was working out of a commercial kitchen in a storage unit that used to be a nursing home on the corner of East and Goodman. It's the East Avenue Storage Building. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that used to be a nursing home, and there okay. was this very big commercial kitchen in there. And I was using that kitchen, and I was selling I was selling myself at Abundance, um, Lori's, Balsam Bagels, um, Dogtown, Boulder Coffee, Cafe Sasso. I would do some stuff for Andrea sometimes at the Red Fern. And and then um, through a series of events, I ended up having to close that business. And then I closed that business down the end of 2016. And I really didn't know what my next step was going to be. Um, and so I went back to photo assisting and I was living like this very quiet life. And then through a series of very strange coincidences and serendipitous, uh, serendipitous events, I was had this opportunity to open this location at 982 Monroe Avenue. And when it opened, there was, you know, the Red Fern and what else was, what else was fully vegan in town? Was that, was that Natural it? Oasis, which has been yep. Love around that place. for 15, 20 years, they were fully vegan and the Red Fern was fully vegan. Yeah. And that was the only other two 100% all vegan establishments in Rochester. So that opened and you were, the focus was 
focus was donuts when it opened. Yes, our primary focus was we did donuts and cinnamon rolls, and then we would occasionally offer other desserts, but that was pretty much our focus at that point. And from my recollection, it caught on right away. Yes, the first um, the first Saturday we were open, we sold out in an hour and forty five minutes. Ooh. And then the that the, the Sunday the following the next day we sold out in I think two hours. Wow, that's wild. It was it was pretty bananas. So let's talk. I mean, I want to definitely talk about more about the journey, but my mind is sticking on converting recipes. So. What, what kind of baker was your, was it your mom or your grandmother? It was my grandmother. What, what kind of baker was she? Well, she was just a home baker. I mean, she just, I mean, we made cookies, cakes, cupcakes. Americana. We, Americana, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you're going to convert a recipe, is, is that how you, how you started with, you converted everything? But what, what for you made a successful conversion from one that was weeping or texturally wrong or all the other things that can go when you try to change over to different, you know, alternative um, fats and alternative binders and everything else? It it was a little bit of a struggle. I mean, it definitely was. And I think that, you know, I just kind of gave myself the patience to fail. And I think that I think everybody should give themselves the patience to fail because, you know, through failure, you kind of find success. Well, it's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, and it really is a lot of opportunity. And some of the recipes were fairly easy to convert. And, you know, even in even in 2010, there was a, a plethora of information on the Internet about, like, vegan substitutes and whatnot. Um, and then it, when, even when I was, like, with Pudgy Girl, the whole, like, people, like, my friends were reaching out to me, and they're like, Jenny, you need to do vegan donuts. And I was like, I was like, I don't even, I can't even, like, I, I had never made a donut before. I was like, and they were, and they were like hardcore bothering me. They were sending me gifts, <laughs> memes, like the Homer Simpson eating the donuts. Mm-hmm. They were like, they were messaging me, texting me like these ridiculous things. And I was like, all right. And, and I started R and D that recipe. And right around that time, um, a discovery was made purely by accident that, um, chickpea watch, chick, Chickpea water, which is also called aquafaba, which is the substance when you take a can of chickpeas and you pour it out, that is like liquid gold because it has the identical properties of eggs, like as a binder. It's fascinating. It um, is. I, I, I recall using it for the first time. And this was just out of experimentation just because I'd read about it on Serious Eats or somewhere else. Yeah. And... I threw it in a stick blender and it turns into this, you know, meringue like marshmallow fluff, which it's amazing. And after you start seizing, I mean, if you just eat it plain, it does taste like chickpea water because it still is that. But I mean, really, I mean, I've used it, used it many times to make a mayonnaise, to do other things. You can use it with sweets. You can do it with any sorts of things. And it's kind of really easy to do. It really is. And, and what, and, I, I, when I first read this, I was like, what is this nonsense? And I, cause I thought it was like some kind of like, like I was being like hoaxed or something. Yeah, April was, Fool's prank. April Fool's like chickpea water. And, and I started using it and I was like, oh my goodness. And that was really like, that was really the precipice for me to be able to do the donuts because, um, I, you know, all the other stuff I had tried because of the interaction with the yeast and the proofing had like pretty much failed, but it was through like the use of chickpea. I call it liquid gold. Yeah. But, like, so it was through that I was able to finally get a, my donut recipe. So it's part of the yeasted donut recipe, which yes. is the bulk of your donuts are yeasted. Yes. Okay. So it helps to bind everything together. Yes. Now this is, this is more of a nerd question because I'm a technical nerd. So, do you make your own chickpea liquid or do you buy it? Do you I, buy it in bulk without chickpeas? Is that how it no, works? No, I, this, this is a very funny story. So I was buying those 10 cans of chickpeas just yeah. to get the liquid. And and by the way, a 10 can is big. This yes. is a big can of chickpeas. This is like an industrial size can, like that you need an industrial size can opener to open. <laughs> yeah. You're not using a little red t- yeah, can exactly. opener. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and then I, and at one point, I had like 30 pounds of chickpeas in oh my, my commercial God. kitchen. So I just put it on Facebook, I think in the Rochester Vegan Group at the time. And I was like, 
bring a container and you can have all the chickpeas that you want. <laughs> and so I think what happened was Andrea from the Red Fern saw this and she was like, well, we go through a ton of chickpeas, so I'll just save the juice for you. So Andrea oh. graciously, and I am so grateful that she does this for me, um, just about every week gives me anywhere from two to eight, 12 quarts or deli cups full of chickpea. Holy cow. Yes. And it freezes so well. Oh, absolutely. And so one of the things is um, we did transition for the donuts. We we do use the chickpea water that Andrea gives us for a lot of other things. But what, one of the things I have since modified in the donut recipes, I actually use chickpea powder because it gives us a little bit of a more consistent result with the size of the donut, so there's not less shrinkage because mm. the thing with the uh, aquafaba or chickpea water is um, different companies, there's an inconsistency in like the, the viscosity and um, other aspects of it. And so we um, we use the actual powder that VOR, V-O-R Foods makes um, and it's we reliquify it and then we get a little better results for the donuts, but I still use a lot of the chickpea water that Andrea gives me oh, that's for awesome. other recipes. No, I love that. And it's, you know, consistency is the is such a big challenge when you're when you are a small you're a still you're still a small shop yes. with a fairly small workforce and everything else. Consistency is the biggest challenge. Exactly. With any small business. And you know, whenever they're you know, each of the companies uses a different stabilizer, a different way of processing the chickpeas, a different, you know, ones use baking well, soda, the, the other so, one the, doesn't. And the sodium content, it also varies a great deal among the chickpea water too. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So when we're talking, I want to get into a little bit more technical about the substitutions. Okay. So when we're talking about, let's let's use the, the biggest example that everybody knows, you know, you're making cookies, you're using butter, Right. When you're doing when you're doing baked things that are butter pie doughs or cookies or whatever, what what is your prime substitute for that now? Uh, it's called Earth Balance, and okay. it's actually been around for as long as I've been vegan. Um, in about 2010, uh, they actually sell it right in the regular butter se- the regular dairy section at Wegmans, mm-hmm. and I believe at Tops as well. But I mean, I buy 30 pound containers of it. Oh wow! So yeah. So what is so they do, do they have, uh, do they have the, some of the lactic in there to give it some of that tang or how does, how does that compare to, let's say, you know, a, a typical shortening or something like that? Well, um, it's a, flavor wise. Like, it's a, it has, it has the exact same flavor as butter. Okay. Um, it's a hundred percent vegan and, um, I, you know, I, they use like a combination of oils to make okay. it and I think the oils give it the flavor the tang that you're speaking of. Is there a cultured too, I think usually that's my recollection anyways. Yeah. yeah Cause it's, cause I've had any number of the, the vegan butter options and if they culture it and you get a little bit of that, you know, tang, it really does work in that same way. When you taste it, I recall making some pot like spring vegetable pasta and, you know, having that with the miso and the vegetables and oh, everything. That sounds delicious. It, it was, um, the, I was kind of aping one of my favorite recipes when I got into food nerdery was when uh, Paul Vroman had the brick and motor food truck. I think I remember that. Yeah, it was it was one of my favorite dishes. He used to, his uh, commissary where he parked his truck was right across from where he used to work. And he had this gnocchi with, you know, brown butter and ramps and spring peas and all that stuff, kind of the harvest of the spring. That almost sounds like something that my old my one of my friends Stephen Reese would do down at Relish. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's kind of the like embracing the start of a season yes, kind of the dish. farm to table yeah. concept. It, it was one of those that one of those dishes that was like, oh, this is it kind of changed my whole perspective on food was that you're like, oh, this is so simple and perfect, and which is why I just love spring vegetables so much now. Um, but for me, when I've done it recently, I've used um, one of the vegan style butters because it offers that some of that richness, but it's not just fattiness. It's that I'm going to say dairy like, you know, that some of that tang, some of that cultured flavors, yes, which exactly. kind of makes a real difference in it, the baked It goods really too. does, yeah. Because you kind of need you kind of need some of that tang. You need that balance instead of just sweet on sweet. 
Exactly. So I think what we're going to do, we're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to talk about the next journey from South Ave to the current location on Gregory Street. Awesome. All right. Just a quick reminder to check out RochesterCocktailRevival.com for all of the events starting tonight through the rest of the weekend. This is one of my favorite events of the year, and I could not recommend checking events out more. So RochesterCocktailRevival.com. And we're back. So during the break, we were talking about we were talking about vinegar. We were talking about pureeing silken tofu, which, by the way, that's my favorite new thing to do: is pureeing silken tofu and turning it into a dressing. A dressing or, or like a cream sauce, like use it as the base of an Alfredo sauce. That's exactly what I did recently. I well, kind of just a savory mishmash because I never, I never try to create anything. I just use ingredients until I like how it tastes. That's still creating something. Yeah, it's just if if I put a name to it, it would be this is savoriness in a sauce. So it's like, oh, I put miso in there and mushroom powder and soy sauce and vinegar. <laughs> it's just like I made this weird succotash thing that was corn, tomatillos, jalapenos, a savory pureed tofu dressing with chevettas as the vinegar in it. And it was that kind sounds of, delicious. It was kind of just like local produce and tofu into a sauce thing. It's like, it's when people ask me, like, do you have a recipe for that dish you made? I'm like, no, I just kind of tinker with it until it tastes good, <laughs> which is very odd. No, I, I actually like that approach to cooking sometimes. It's nice. Yeah. It's, it doesn't work in a restaurant. No, no, absolutely not. Oh. Uh, so before we before we took our break, we were getting into your so you had just started the uh, misfit over on South um, and Monroe on Monroe on yeah. Monroe in that in that area, the Upper Monroe area. Which again, I loved that area. Oh, I just had this sense memory from when I used to be in the area. There was a little Vietnamese shop in that same plaza area. They used to do banh mi and things like that. I think. It was at the sandwich shop. Yeah, that's actually the location I was in. Is it really? Yeah, it oh was. It was the Vietnamese restaurant, and then it was the Puerto Rican sandwich shop yes. for like I think six or nine months. And then I actually, I actually t- took ownership of it from the couple who ran the Puerto Rican sandwich shop. Oh man, I I loved I loved that little Vietnamese sandwich shop. That was. That was another one of those moments in my life where I tried that and I just, I loved it so much. It was so good. Um, And then I found all the other places in town that do Vietnamese food as well. But that shop, that was one of the things that changed my food perception. I'm just going back into history here. This is great. (laughs) So you were in that shop for um, almost two years, right? Yeah, we opened on May 13, 2017. And then um, in... 20, the end of 2018, I decided to expand um, in the shop and I rented the shop next door to mine that had been prior to me renting it had been a uh, vintage clothing shop. Okay. And, and by the way, right now you're next door to another vintage clothing shop, (laughs) little shop of hoarders, which is run by Monica. And what a cool little store that's Monica has some of the best selection of clothing, very reasonably priced. And I have found so many really cute dresses, shirts, Converse sneakers. Like she has men's clothing, women's clothing. It's I bought a couple sweaters there. Yeah, it's like she has everything there, a little bit of everything. And if you're looking, for, really, please go check it out. It's like the cutest little shop ever. It is. And also, you know, those you find the shops that kind of work for you that actually carry things that'll fit. Like I have to find things that fit like my giant shoulders and like I can't. I can't get like vintage stuff that's svelte. It won't fit over my shoulders. Well, yeah, I think um, I think for the most part, vintage clothing is tinier than today's clothing. Oh, for sure. And I, I, I struggle that with like some dresses, but Monica does have a very nice selection of clothing. Absolutely. Yeah, so no, I got a few good things there. It's weird. It's weird how your your locations are dovetailing with like you've got vintage clothing and vintage clothing and taking over for two you know, great little restaurants that I, <laughs> I, I remember. Know. It's so cool. I, I know. And it's, so we were, we were expanding and it was not an easy process. Um, 
because I was unaware of the zoning requirements to, mm. to before I could expand. And I had already signed the lease. And my landlord, I think not through negligence, but just through ignorance, neglected to mention to me that I needed to be zoned to be considered a sit-down restaurant. Oh, jeez. And so it was kind of a whole rigmarole to go before the zoning board. And then we got the variance. And then um, we had we had started the renovations in January. And... They were late January, early February, and we were just finishing up the renovations. And the building permits were all still open because my electrical contractor still had a little bit of work to do on the expanded side. And then on uh, March 29th of 2019, I was notified by a friend of mine who lived across the street, who lived above Mario Shoe Repair Shop, that my building was on fire. Oh, God. At uh, 4.45 a.m., so... So when, when you get that call. It wasn't a call. They were sending me screenshots on Facebook Messenger. <laughs> you don't even get the courtesy yeah. of a well, call. Well, they didn't have my phone number <laughs> at that point. They were like, we were friends on Facebook. And yeah. like, they're sending me pictures of like flames shooting out of the second story. There was, it was a three-story building and there was uh, apartments on the second and third floor. And I immediately raced down there and I, you know, it was very stressful, um, I got down there around five and it was nine thirty when I was talking to the fire investigators about like I was able to actually go into the shop and see the extent of damage and actually talk to the fire investigators and be notified that it was arson. That, oh, no way. Yes. That was the cause of the fire. Um, and so, um, and then it, I think a little bit of shock set in a little bit, you know, I have to imagine. Yeah. And you know, and then over the, course of the next couple of days you know i i don't really remember everything that happened but like i do remember the fire investigator for the owner of the building i he was a very nice gentleman his name is ira and he pulled me aside and he goes jenny i've been doing this for 30 years and whatever your landlord is telling you about the timeline you're looking at 18 to 24 months so if you want your business to function or survive you're going to have to find another location i i apologize about the turn of phrase but is there what what what's the one moment from that time that's seared in your mind like what was what was the one thing from that you know i'm sure it's the wave of different images but what's the one moment you remember most um the one moment that i remember most was that i was there standing outside and um, I didn't exactly know what was happening, but there was a very stressful situation with two of the firefighters and they were trapped and like all the firefighters were like very stressed out and obviously, and like they were trying to like figure out like the best course of action to like correct whatever was happening. And I could just feel like this wave of like anxiety yeah. from them because like two of their comrades were facing um, like, like possible injury or death. And I was like, and, and just making sure, and I was like, oh my God, this is really happening. And this is like, this is like very, very serious. Yeah. Did, did, did they ever find out what the, what the arson reason was or was it just random? No, it was a, it was a young woman who was living in the building and she had had an altercation with her boyfriend at the time. And she was, um, he had locked her out of the apartment and she had had, papers and she was trying to smoke him out like oh god yes and so um she was 27 at the time of the fire and she was sentenced to seven years in federal prison and then her probation is 10 years of supervised probation so obviously i don't think that was her intention yeah at all so it's 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 so there's no there's no good there's no good version of that story there's no no absolutely not there's no good version where it's somebody do it intentionally or somebody did it accidentally. It's still, still devastation for, you know, so many people in that whole area. Cause yeah. it's not just you, it's every, it changes that too. Yeah. There was 18 people that were living there, 18 people that were sleeping in that building when the fire started wow. and they all miraculously got out unharmed. That's amazing. And, um, and they all lost their homes obviously. And that was devastating. And then myself and another business lost our business so it was, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. There's just no, there's nothing good that came out of that at all. No. So 
when something like that strikes and you're in the middle, you know, edging towards the end of a long renovation journey and putting all that you put into it, I'm sure it was draining just getting as far as you did. Where, where does that, where does that leave you? What's the recovery like from that? Well, I, you know, um, I just kind of retreated and, um, just, it was, it was very difficult for me to like, cause obviously people were like asking me a lot of questions and like, there was a lot of curiosity about it. And like, so I, I just kind of like retreated and I kind of just took a couple of weeks to decompress and process everything that had happened. And, um, it was, and then I kind of was like, okay, you know, once I kind of like processed the, the loss, you know, I, I kind of like switched gears a little bit and was like, all right, we have to start, I have to start moving forward. You know, I mean, and it was not an easy process by any means. No, especially when you, when you've invested as much as you did yeah. in that, in the neighborhood, in the location, you know, I'm sure it's, you know, it's a big part of the identity. I mean, you were part of that neighborhood. I really was. And, um, and like the neighbor, the neighbors, the businesses and the people were very supportive. I mean, and the whole, and I have to say that without the community really reaching out and supporting me with the rebuilding and the reopening, I honestly don't think I would have been able to, to do it. And I, I even now I still like get very emotional about it because I, I just can't even begin to express like how grateful I am to the to the people of Rochester that really kind of stepped up and helped me out in like yeah. so many different ways. I mean, like the fundraisers, you know, the the offers of support, the like the helping me find the new location and you know, those kinds of things, you know. Well, and that's it's we we talked about community yeah. earlier, right? And it's those those kind of those kind of connections they they don't they don't happen randomly exactly no 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 connection that's worth having happens without some work or offering offering part of yourself offering something to others Pe- people don't th- those those kind of things don't happen just because you randomly ran into somebody they happen because you made an effort you were honestly doing what you wanted to do in the best way you could do it and that's that's why you, the support happens. It's not because, you know, of anything else. It's because you you're out there doing what you do. Yeah, and I, and it's I appreciate I really do appreciate it. I mean, and like I, you know, I just for me, I just try to be like the most authentic person that I can be. I mean, I, you know, I'm as with everybody else, I'm flawed and I have issues, but I just you know. I try to be as compassionate and kind to everybody that I can possibly be. And I think that it's just reciprocated to me. Yeah. So through that journey, you ended up finding the location on Gregory Street. Yes. Which is a cute little location in the side of a building. And you went through, if I recall correctly, you went through a fundraising process for that as well, right? I did. Yeah. I did a, I did a couple of different things. Um, I did a GoFundMe, which, you know, was very successful, but I also had a actual fundraiser at Photo City, which was so much fun. Um, Danny Nielsen reached out to me and said, if you want to have a fundraiser here, we can, we'll, we'll like blow the roof off of this place. (laughs) And, um, like, and so many, like everybody who performed there came like, um, Kit from Floated Magazine reached out and helped me get all the musical acts. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. And then like Tony from Fuego, you know, served coffee and, um, and I'm, and we, we, we actually, and a friend of mine who had a commercial kitchen reached out and said, do you want to just, we know, you know, we, we don't have a fryer here, so you can't do donuts, but you can make other desserts and sell like other desserts. So they let me use their commercial kitchen to make cookies and pies and like other pastries that we sold. And like people like came out in force and like, just like bought tickets and we had raffles and it was just amazing. So let's jump forward a little bit. So the new location opens. And I'm assuming people kind of jumped right in right away. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we sold out very quickly when we opened. Which is great. And maintaining a high level of demand all the way through today. I know when I try to order on the website, I get like, oh, if you want a sandwich, you can come, you can pick it up at 2.30. I'm ordering at 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about what the what Misfit is today versus what it was originally. So you're still doing donuts. We are still doing donuts and cinnamon rolls. Um, and we've expanded our offerings in that area. We also now do fritters, which are seem to be very popular. They are wild. By the way, when, so, you know, when you look at a picture on a menu and you see this thing like, Oh, that's a good amount of food. I'll get one of those. And then I grabbed that and I ordered more than one thing, which was a mistake (laughs) because I've got a platform in the middle of my little podcast room here and it's the size of like a foot by a foot. This thing is a monster fritter. Every single one I've eaten is just ridiculously big. We call them Godzilla feet at the (laughs) shop because like, you know, and people are like, those are huge. I'm like, yeah, we don't mess around here. <laughs> no. No. So those, and you do, you know, you do seasonals from the strawberry and, you know, apple and, but other different ones as well, which are cool. I love that you do the seasonality yes, as well. Yes, yes. Which is kind of fun. It is. I, I believe in being a very seasonal baker. Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, it, it keeps things fresh too. Yeah. Because if you just do the same hits all the time forever and some things you can't get rid of, of course. But having that variety kind of keeps things, keeps your mind fresh too. Exactly. Well, donuts are kind of a great canvas. You know, donuts and fritters and everything else are kind of a great canvas for flavors. They really are. And and one of the problems that I'm having is like, and it's not so much a problem, but I, I have so many ideas and I just <laughs> don't necessarily have all the time to execute all these ideas. Um so, but like, and I'm really in, I'm in, influ- I'm influenced by the seasons, you know, and the, what's available at the market and also like, but I'm also very heavily inv- influenced by pop culture, mm-hmm. um, movies, music, TV, those kinds of things. So. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at, when you look at translating those flavors to donuts, because it's actually, sometimes it is really obvious and it just, it is very clean and easy. And I'm like, oh yeah, all right, we're doing mango, we're doing mango, we're doing this. Okay, mango sesame. All right, done. Easy. Super. What's the one you've done somewhat recently that you did and you're like, I want to make this work. And it took you a little more effort than you thought it would to make it work. It it took for it took for a minute for the Big Bird to take off, which was really surprising to me. Um, you know, a big, the Big Bird donut is a citrus sugar cookie filled donut with like it has like we use like lemon and orange zest in, okay. in, the, in the in the cookie dough, and also lemon and orange extract, and then we do like a lemon raspberry glaze, and then it has yellow cake on it, and that. I mean, it's very popular now, yeah. but it, it took a minute for people to kind of wrap their minds around it. How is the oils, you know, those different, there's so many different kinds of citrus flavors from Us. oil to the zest to the, how do you go through the process of balancing citrus in something that is inherently sweet, but using those bitter, bright flavors to get through that? Well, it was, oh, well, as with anything, it was like a little bit of R&D where we kind of make, we make something a small batch, then we try it and we add stuff. And then like, like we realize we've added too much, then we subtract. And it's kind of just like, with anything, it's just like a process of like, and I love R&Ding stuff. It's like, that's one of my favorite things of doing is like research and development of new flavors. Yeah. And that, you know, I love citrus because citrus is, you know, it, it, it can be used in so many different ways. Obviously, you know, classic and desserts. Yes. But and that, savory and oh yeah. well, the acidity, you know, that yep. squirt of acidity, or you know, that brightness and that you know that intense bitter bright zest that you can you know you know shave over different things. So many different dimensions. It's got to be exciting when you use those kind of things. It is very exciting. Yeah. So donuts still a big part of what you do. Yes. I've bought pies. They're delicious. Thank you. Um, so mini pies from pecan and different flavors. Really nice. Now, what I really want to talk about, 
Is this savory? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, actually, we're going to take a brief break just to make sure that I'm still recording fine, and hopefully we are. Hopefully. All right, that wasn't a real break. That was a sanity break to make sure that things are being recorded because I'm really enjoying the conversation and we had some great stuff. <laughs> so we were talking about savory options at Misfit Treats and Eats. I like that little rhyming. That's nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that latched me, and so I, I went full vegan in March last year. I love, I love breakfast sandwiches. I am a breakfast sandwich nerd. I used to, every place I went, my analytical mind went crazy. Breakfast sandwiches are so simple, but something that's executed so poorly so much of the time. I agree 100%. From bad bread to poorly cooked eggs to bad choices in meat to bad choices in cheese. All of the choices matter because by the way, my, all my favorite foods are simple, but they're executed really well. You know, from Neapolitan pizza to tacos, to all those things. They're best when they're just, you can't hide anywhere. And it has to be right every step of the way. Exactly. So when I, I forget where I read about it at some point, but I saw you were doing breakfast sandwiches and it's stuck in the back of my mind. And at some point I ordered one. And when I took a bite, this was, and we'll, we'll go into all the details because I, I care about every detail about this, but when I took a bite, I think I forget what exactly I told the wife. It was like, this is maybe the single best representation of what a breakfast sandwich is in a vegan format. Thank you. That it captures everything I loved about those, you know, Breakfast sandwiches, all right, we're, we're going to go into details now. So a great breakfast sandwich has to have some element of grease to it. Exactly. It can't be too lean. It can't be, it can't be too gooey, but it has to have some goo to it. Exactly. It's got to be greasy and fatty. It's got to have some savoriness. It's got to have a little, it's got to have a good amount of salt. Oh, 100%. A not mess around level of salt. Yeah. And it has to be balanced with a bread that makes sense for the sandwich. All of these things need to exist to make a breakfast sandwich great. And for me, the one the one that I got from you is the sausage sandwich, which is perfection. It's, yeah, the McLovin. So talk about what's in that sandwich and how you formed that. Well, I think we have to give a little bit of a backstory because yes, the thing is, is before, before COVID and even like, even, even at the old location, we were serving another form of a breakfast sandwich. Okay. We were doing them on donuts mm -hmm. that were glazed and we were using um, a different kind of sausage. We were also a, a different kind of vegan sausage. We were also doing our own in-house tofu scramble and we were using, I believe, a different, maybe a different kind of cheese, because I'm not sure chow was available on a wholesale level yet. Yeah, probably not. Not, at that, not yet. And what happens is we would make six or 12 sandwiches every day, and then once the sandwiches were done, and we were doing a very simple breakfast sandwich and a very simple chicken sandwich. No sauce. And, no, and like, and once the, sandwich, once the donuts were gone, we'd be like, oh, the savory station's closed. See, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and... So, um, but then there's a lot of different, a uh, lot of different, uh, little events that happened during COVID that kind of facilitated our new breakfast sandwiches. Um, and what happened was I was, when I was home during COVID for, we were, we closed on March 15th of 2019 and we didn't reopen until April 29th. And we, when we, re, when we reopened, we were doing like pre-order pickup only yeah makes sense and so i had a lot of free time on my hands a lot and so <laughs> didn't we all yes exactly and one of the things that was um one of the things i was thinking about was i wanted to re-engineer the breakfast sandwich so that we could appeal to a wider audience and so then i tracked down a vegan version of the english muffins which was fairly easy to find and then by the way the texture on those is really nice i know people it's 
it's one of those things you kind of discount an English muffin. You know, it's, oh, it's just an English muffin. I'm like, no, no. But no, it does affect the impact of the overall quality of the sandwich. And the texture is just right. Yes. It's not too spongy. G- when, you know, when they get dry and awful, when they're, they're the bad ones. Yes. This has the right amount of tenderness, but it still has a little bit the of firmness. Crisp. Yes. It's firm. It's got a little tenderness, a little bit of crisp. It's really nice for any English muffin. It's just really good. Thank you. And um, and then also my one of the people that I hope, one of the wholesalers that I reached out to me said that Impossible Sausage was coming out with these new sausage patties and they were only going to be doing wholesale. And she sent me an entire box, which was like 100 sausages. And right around the same time, just egg, which is the egg patty that we use. They actually came out and changed their egg patty from like a little circle disc to like the square patty that they use. And it was like almost like a collision of per- perfection. Yeah. Because it was like, it was like um, this thing where, and then so we had, and then chow cheese became available uh, to us. And I love chow cheese because of the way that it melts. Um, and so I said to one of my coworkers, I said, we're going to reformat the breakfast sandwich. And I said, the only thing is, is cause I, I am a girl that loves condiments. Oh yeah. I, 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 that is like my jam. Literally like I have to, when I eat a sandwich, there has to be some condiment on the sandwich. And so I said, let's do two kinds of aiolis. I said, let's do like a garlic aioli and a spicy aioli. And so we basically kind of like. We, we are, once again, we are indeed the recipe. And so we got the garlic aioli very quickly and then we got the spicy aioli and we were off to the races. So I'm going to go into, I'm going to rhapsodize for a moment about some of those individual ingredients. So the impossible sausage may be the single best meat substitute, um, you know, vegan meat substitute that exists. It is that beautiful breakfast sausage and I, I like impossible meat just fine but this is for all intents and purposes i taste zero difference exactly and the seasoning on it is so spot on so perfect the texture of it the herbs the like herbs yes it's like i like the impossible burger on its own but like i loved you know i loved grass-fed meat and dry age and all i loved all that stuff this is the purest, straightest. This is exactly the taste of, you know, commercial good pork, you know, pork or beef sausages. It's so good. Um, and then Just Egg, I use Just Egg all the time at home. I buy the little containers of it. I use it to make, you know, if I'm, you know, scrambling some rice and searing some rice and leftovers in a pan, I throw some Just Egg in there. I want little toasts. I throw some Just Egg in there. It's great. It's a great it is again one of the closest. It's the texture of it and the proximity. I mean, and it's and I mean it's been over ten years since I've eaten eggs and I ate this like and I and I tried and when they came out in the liquid form, obviously I tried it right away and I was like, whoa, right? I know. And then when they came out with the egg patty, I was like, and I have to really like give props to like Just Egg and Impossible because as companies, they're fantastic because there was a one time when there was like a little bit of a shortage for my distributor and I reached out to them directly and each one of them sent me boxes of like product. And it's, it's great to get that kind of service. And you know, we, we, we can talk about like for me switching over was a health decision. It was a moral decision, was an ethical decision, but it definitely was a health decision for me as well. But at the same time, I still I love this stuff. That is not a healthy sandwich. It is delicious. And by the way, my the other favorite part, and I, I say this because it's like it comes with a hash brown, which exactly. is a great choice. That hash brown is never eaten on its own. That hash brown goes directly on my sandwich. As the, it should. Yeah. The only thing that I would say that I I do make a modification when it gets home. So I am a spice monster. So I take Calabrian chili and I slather it on one side of the, on one side of it. That's when it a gets really home, good idea. It is a delight because <laughs> it gets that little bit of punch, a little bit of that chili flavor. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, habanero hot sauce or whatever else on it, but the Calabrian chili swipe on there. It's perfection. Oh, it's so good. And you're, so the sauce is, was a great addition. And then chow cheese really just plays as a good American cheese substitute. It almost has a little cheddar-y flavor. 
and we and we the offer, texture's good too. Yeah, and the texture's really good. And we offer a couple of different kinds of chow cheese. We have the original, creamy original, the tomato cayenne, and the jalapeno for the people who want to spice up their life a little bit. Yeah. So, and I, I I just love how it's not trying to be anything it isn't, and I, I think that's one of the things that I love about places that know who they are and know what they're doing and do it for a reason. Like you can tell that you cared about every step of that breakfast sandwich because every step mattered and you made it exactly the way you thought it should be. Well, I mean, and like, you know, the thing, the, the thing about me is like when I grew up, like before I went vegan, I did eat at McDonald's and I did eat at like fast food restaurants. And the thing about like, and I, sometimes I refer to myself as a vegan garbage pail kid because I literally <laughs> like, like I'm all about like the V like, you know, like I'm all about the vegan junk food and like, and making like, and all about the vegan savory food. That's like kind of good for you, but not really like, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, and I just love the fact that, like, like now there's nothing that cannot be made vegan. Yeah. Like absolutely, there's absolutely nothing that cannot be made vegan at this point. And the technology and the amount of investment that's going on yes. right now into trying to turn everything. And it, it's, it's amazing the directions it's gone. Even just the last five years, it's staggeringly different. It's, five years ago to today. The landscape has completely changed. It's been like a 180 degree turn. I mean, I'm sure like like 10 years ago, to kind of backtrack a little bit, 10 years ago when I first went vegan, you know, they didn't even have vegan cheese. Like, I mean, like six months after I went vegan, six or nine months after I went vegan, diet came out and like we were losing our minds. Right. You know, because I mean, you couldn't, it unlike today where you like just about, every pizza place in Rochester offers a vegan option. Like you couldn't get vegan pizza. You couldn't get vegan tacos. You know, you couldn't get, I mean, there was like anything which like, you couldn't get go get a, like an impossible burger with chow cheese on it, you know? And it's just like, we've come so far and it just makes me so happy. Yeah. And when you, when you can, when you can bite into that bite into a burger or bite into that thing and you you get that sensation of biting in, it still hits that part of your brain that wants to bite into something like that. It really does. And it's, you know, it's, I, I love, I love all that stuff. And I, you know, I, I eat mostly vegetables, eat mostly, you know, all that stuff. But when I need to bite into it, that's what I go for. So, we're doing the savory. We're doing the sweet. Is there something you've got in the works that you're working on? Or are you just kind of happy to be rolling right now? Uh, we are always working on new things. Um, I, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to be satisfied with the status quo. And I always, like, I'm always striving to do more and better and offer more. Um, you know, I just, as I said before, I have so many ideas in my head and, um, originally, I mean, like, you know, I originally, I opened up as a donut shop, like slash bakery. And now I feel like we're more kind of like, uh, a diner ish feeling that offers baked goods. I know? love that. Yeah. And I really love that. Um, and so that's kind of why we changed the name a little bit. Um, and then I, when I decided to change the name, I reached out to um, Ian from Kitty Box Press, who, once again, I love Ian so much. Like All of my wife's shirts yes. are printed from Ian. Yes, Ian is amazing. He actually designed the original logo, and I reached out to him, and I was like, you know, I think we need to revamp it a little bit. And so we, we, re, we, re, we redesigned the logo, and we changed the name a little bit. And so, but... Yeah, I, I think that I have, like, just, you kind of, you know, you just have to, like, be on the lookout for to see what co what's going to come down the pike. That's very exciting. So, um, I think what we're going to do, we're going to close out for today. Um, thank you so much for reaching out. I know you, you uh, were listening. Uh, you saw the um, saw the podcast I did with uh, Brian Van Etten and Chris Clemens, two of my 
NA Buddies. We were doing a NA podcast, so I'm glad you reached out and came over. This was a delight. Well, thank you so much for having me. And um, again, where can people find uh, Misfits, Misfit Treats and Eats? We are located at 133 Gregory Street in the South Wedge. And you can find uh, find them at misfitdonuts.org. And uh, there is online ordering. When do the orders come out for the like donuts for the week? Because there's like a certain time, right? Well, we kind of change the donut menu daily. Um, the date, we usually like we're open Wednesdays, um, 9 to 3, Thursdays and Fridays, 9 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 7, and then Sunday, 10 to 3. Um, we usually post the menu the day before around between 5 and 7. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to get some of these things and you don't want to show up first thing in the morning and wait in line, you can go on to misfitdonuts.org. You can order. You can order your breakfast sandwiches. You can order your donuts. You can order anything and everything. Vegan delights. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming over. Well, thank you once again. It was a pleasure. All right. And I will see everybody out around Rochester. Stay safe. Be good to everybody around you. See you.